Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to our weekly Sunrise Project call. As always, I'm so happy that we are all here together this beautiful morning where we are going to fellowship and have a conversation and really uh, work on uh, creating a space of love and compassion for ourselves first and for our families and for our children. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. This morning, I am so excited to have with us Shanti Das, who is a legend and an icon in the music industry um, and so much more. I met Shanti over 20 years ago when we were both working in the music business. Um, Shanti began her music career at Capitol Records uh, when she was National Director of Promotions at LaFace. And she also um, led so many of the marketing promotions and development projects for brand people like Outkast and Usher and TLC, Tony Braxton, and so many more. Um, I could go on and on and on. She has received many, many awards, including Music Executive of the Year, National Promotion Director of the Year, and she even has a key to the city in Atlanta with the proclamation of June 5th being Shanti Das Day. Um, she has helped shape the careers of people like Prince and Vivian Green and Omaria and Erica Badu, Buster Rhymes, TV Wonder, on and on and on. And while that sounds super impressive, what is even more incredible is Shanti's unwavering support of people and her community. Um, she's been an advocate for so many social issues, including 
May We Rest in Peace, where she um, covers uh, funeral expenses for people who can't afford them. Um, Happy Hour for Haiti, No Reservations Needed, where she feeds the homeless in Atlanta, and they just celebrated recently their 10th anniversary, which is incredible. Um, She does Samples That Serve, which is an annual shoebox party. She does Backpack Blessings, Turn the Page, and of course, what we're going to be speaking about this morning, Silence the Shame. Shanti was seven months old when her father completed suicide. And at that time, of course, and later in her life, she really didn't realize that this was going to be a full circle um, journey uh, into a lifelong relationship with her own mental health struggles. In Shanti's most recent book, which is called Silence My Shame, Shanti narrates her mental health journey, weaving in stories from her childhood, her career, and more. And she has used this pain to really take this test and create a testimony about how important it is not to silence our shame and how we should um, help reduce the stigma. And she is here with us this morning to share her story, share her journey, um, and fellowship with us. So Shanti, thank you so much for being here and for all the tremendous work you are doing with Silence the Shame. Really want to turn it over to you and have you share with us, you know, why Silence the Shame was born, um, a little bit of your journey, and I'd love to hear also about your sister, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. So Kelly, first of all, just thank you for having me. Um, Thank you. um, I I rejoice and and celebrate with you and thank God for all of your wonderful accomplishments you've been able to do in your career. Um, And now with the Sunrise Project, which is helping so many people, I'm sure people you haven't even met yet, your impact is far and wide. And I want to honor your team uh, and your staff and volunteers. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. I want to start and go kind of going back to um, my career. You know, growing up in Atlanta was a special place, Kelly. You know, we didn't. We came from humble beginnings, but my mother, uh, after my dad took his own life, worked really hard to move us into a good area in Atlanta, Georgia, as a single black mom and raising three kids. And so we moved to Southwest Atlanta, which is finally known as the Swats. And so it was really great and inspiring for me to see my friends' parents who were like doctors and lawyers and, you know, um, people that were engaged in the civil rights movement and just so many, you know, empowering faces. So I really did grow up in, in a good space from a, a community perspective, but it was tough for us as a family because when my dad died by suicide, you know, as I got a little older, I watched my mom crying a lot. You know, she hid a lot of it from us. We never went to counseling as a family. You know, we've heard it said before, like, oh, counseling's for white people. It's not for black people. And, you know, we, it's not nothing that we need to do. But um, it was nothing that we did as a family. And so fast forward, um, I was a relatively happy kid, but I was, again, angry about my dad's suicide. So I 
never really allowed my mom to talk about my dad. I said, don't, don't bring that man's name up around me. And she was like, oh, your dad loved you. He was just sick. But again, as a kid, I didn't really understand it. And mental health wasn't really a part of our everyday vernacular and that conversation like it is right now. So I just kind of buried my feelings and, you know, focused on school and activities and, you know, uh, went on to attend Syracuse University because um, I thought I wanted to work in TV or film or either in music. So I um, ended up getting into the Newhouse School of Communications. Um, but while I was at Syracuse, I kind of caught the music bug. And that's when I started interning at Capitol Records. And I was a on-air disc jockey at the radio station, assistant promotions director. I wrote for a newsletter back when we just had typewriters and word processors. I would write reviews for albums um, for campus events. And so life was good. And once I graduated, I landed a gig in 1993, four months out of college uh, at LaFace Records working with the great L.A. Reid and Babyface. And it really was a dream come true for me. So I kind of never looked back. And so life was good. Things were going great. But, you know, with, you know, really big jobs and responsibilities, at some point you're going to deal with a certain level of stress and pressure. And so when those days came around for me, I really didn't have any good tools, if you will, um, to handle um, stress and anxiety back then. I didn't even know what to call it. And so I just kind of internalized everything. I felt like as a Black female executive in the entertainment industry, I was getting overlooked for positions um, and certain titles that I felt like I deserved. So I didn't think I had to get to New York and prove myself all over again. So Kelly, I went through a really tough time. Um, what I now know was me slipping into a depression in 2001. And I recall being at the airport, I was at LaGuardia. And I was just crying uncontrollably and I just couldn't get out of my thoughts and my feelings. I called my sister, of course, who's like my best friend and confidant. And she was like, you know what? You might just have to quit. You might just have to walk away because clearly something's not right. You're not happy, but you got to figure out a plan. And so I quit and walked away. And mind you, I had just left Atlanta like a year and a half ago. So I sold my house. So I was going back home with, you know, no home. And I slept on my girlfriend's couch between she and my mom's house for a while. But one thing that's important to note before I did that, my boyfriend at the time, we, we were at home the night before my trip to the airport. And I said, maybe I should just kill myself. Oh. That's the first time, Kelly, I ever uttered those words. Uh, I was so upset at myself and mad and, 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 and probably just fearful because I thought that maybe something was wrong with me. You know, amid all the success and everything I had garnered over the years and all the success I had experienced, I still thought deep down that maybe something was wrong with me because my dad was in life and because we had not processed through it as a family or therapy. And so that's when my sister was like, you got to go to therapy. She was like, look, I went when I was in college. You know, I know we weren't taught to go to therapy as a family, but she ended up having the wherewithal to put herself in counseling um, in the late 80s, early 90s when she was in college. And so I went to therapy for the first time in the end of, it was either the end, I think the end of 2001 before I left New York. And I did it for about three months. And, mm -hmm. you know, I finally addressed the elephant in the room, which was my dad's suicide and did it for about three months. And, and then, you know, of course, you know, I ended up walking away from the job. And once I got back to New York City, um, things got better for me. I stayed home for about three and a half months and it was my good friend who was like, come on, you can't just, you know, quit the industry. You're too valuable. And so he had a deal with Sony music. And so he called, um, the chairman at the time, Mr. Donnie Einer, mm -hmm. and said, I need to hire this young lady from Atlanta right away. And, and, uh, he said, 
you know, they, so they set up an interview and um, I got hired as VP and the rest was history. So I worked my way up the corporate ladder of success in music. I stayed at Sony for about four years, got promoted to senior vice president of marketing. That's when I got to work with Prince, which was like a dream come true for me. And then I moved over to Universal Motown in 2005 um, under Sylvia Rohn as executive vice president. And that was a good run for me. Before you move on, can I just ask a question? Because you said something that was really powerful, but like we often do, you know, particularly Black women, we'll say it and then keep moving. And so you said something that really shook me. I didn't know it till just now. But when you said the first time I thought about taking my own life, I said to my boyfriend, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to, if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, what was his response? How did you move through that and pass that? And, and then, you know, please go back to the, you know, Sylvia Rohn story, but if you could just pause on that piece of it. Absolutely. Um, so we were at home one evening, like I said, it was kind of, it was probably the night before I was having to go to the airport to take that trip to Miami for work. And he could tell something had been going on with me for a couple of weeks because I was down. I wasn't talking much. Um, my face was breaking out, you know, from the stress of it all. And I just couldn't get out of my thoughts that night. And I said to him, I was like, you know, this is just too much. And I'm tired of having to deal with the pressure and getting overlooked. I feel like nobody's listening to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think to go to HR within the company because coming from LaFace, it was more of a smaller company and we kind of outsourced HR. We didn't really have an mm-hmm. team or department. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I said to him, you know, I just, I, I don't know, I guess when I was down in the dumps, Kelly, I thought about it. And I said, well, if my dad did it, maybe it's okay. And mm-hmm. I said, maybe I should just kill myself. And that was not okay for him. And he was like, well, no, hold on. Cause he knew the story of my father. He's like, that's not what we're going to do. Right. He immediately had me call my sister. Well, he got her on the line. I think he called her mm-hmm. he kind of talked me through it. And he told her that you know, what I had said. And she was like, you know, you have got to go to therapy and you've you know, got to figure out this job. And so I think it was either the next day or two days after is when I was at the airport. And that's when kind of everything came to a head Mm -hmm. and I had to quit and walk away. Um, Mm -hmm. So he didn't brush over it. That's why it's so important to have someone in your support circle, whether Mm -hmm. um, your, your partner or spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, or significant other, or, you know, auntie, grandma, uncle, somebody that you can confide in. Because right. when we think about some of these adverse feelings and thoughts that we have, we keep them in mm-hmm. and we don't often talk about it. Or we brush over the fact, you know, that we said that. So we don't really acknowledge or accept the fact that we said those feelings and or those thoughts rather. And so that's really, Kelly, what started all of this. And a lot of people don't know that my journey started in 2001. Right, right. Because I was so successful and I was what they would call a high functioning person yeah. with a lot of anxiety and depression, but just didn't know what to call it. Yes. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I was really just putting all of my emotions into my work, which is not healthy. Sometimes we put so much into our work to cover up or to be so busy that we don't have time to deal with what's really happening. So, and the feelings below. But I wanna hear the rest of your story, I went left, but you were sharing how you started working for Sylvia Rome. And so I was at um, Universal Motown for about four and a half years and 
things were good at first. And, you know, like any other, you know, high pace, you know, job, you know, other problems arise. I felt like um, sometimes in those big boardrooms and meetings, you know, being one of the few Black women, I had to deal with a lot of stress and pressure from, you know, my white male counterparts. And so that was beginning to be exhausting for me. And it just started not being fun for me anymore. And so, Kelly, I remember um, I had a pretty nice office with a TV and a sofa there. And I remember going in and telling my assistant, I'm locking my door. Don't call me unless it's Sylvia. Now, that's not who I am. You know, I take pride or took pride rather in my work and everything that I did, you know, that had my name behind it. But I just wasn't able to function at work anymore. And I was literally taking naps at like one o'clock in the afternoon at work and wouldn't let anybody know. So um, fast forward to 2009. That was the last year that I was at a major label. And my uncle passed away that year. He was not my blood relative, but he's been my uncle my entire life. He was a close family friend. And I remember him telling me that he talked to my dad the week before he took his life. And his my dad said to him, take care of my baby. So my dad, I guess, you know, already knew what he was planning on doing. And so my uncle and I had a really close relationship and he didn't tell me that he had cancer until earlier that year. And he probably only survived maybe two months after that. So that started like a really tough year for me. And then my mom developed dementia which turned into Alzheimer's. And so I felt like my sister was bearing the brunt of that and that wasn't fair. And so I was missing out on everything at home. And then that just made me more depressed. So, and then one day I was riding in a taxi Kelly uptown for work from Manhattan to Harlem. My entire right side went numb. I mean, from my head to my toe, I couldn't feel my hands, my arms. It was very scary. So I took the day go get tests, MRIs, CT scans, all that good stuff. Ended up getting diagnosed with cervical spinal stenosis, which my doctor said at the time that most people get diagnosed with that when they're in like their 70s or 80s. Mm. Right result of stress. So mm. like literally, you know, the stress and the depression and anxiety, it was killing me, Kelly. Like I had wow. to, I wasn't, and it's funny and I'll just share this really quickly. I went to New York City for an event that Charlemagne did around mental health a couple months ago. And I ran into my old driver from Sony. He would drive me everywhere. And he said, and I told him about this new part of my life with silence of shame. And he had no idea. He said, you know, I, I often wonder how you did it and how you were going to survive because I re remember picking you up at 1 a.m. from an event. Mm -hmm. But then one of my other drivers was headed to your home at 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. You go and go and go and you didn't eat and so just that's a whole different story around self-care and wellness, you know, yes. but it, everything was kind of coming down on me at once and I just wasn't taking care of myself. So I made the tough decision to quit and walk away from a half a million dollar year salary, corner office, range where we're all at, we, that we think we want and need. And those things are great, right? And we aspire to become successful in life. But I was literally just on a downward spiral of not taking care of myself and, and dealing with the anxiety and frustration with work. And so I moved back home to Atlanta. That's when I did the happy hour for Haiti. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like God was trying to tell me something. And mm -hmm. I've always been a spiritual person, but I never had that relationship with God like I wanted. You know, it took me kind of hitting rock bottom there at that point and starting over. And so when I moved back home to Atlanta, I had a, you know, a little bit of a nest egg. I had home, sold my, sold my home in New Jersey and, you know, I had money saved up from working. And so the first 
probably two or three years in Atlanta were pretty good. And then, you know, as we often do, when we shift gears, we don't always, you know, live below our means. You know, I'm still trying to live in Atlanta like I'm EVP, you know, right. and I started dealing with a few financial hiccups. And then in 2014, I was headed on vacation to Switzerland to visit family friends that were over there. And I was at the airport and I got a call from my, one of my best friends and she said, Hey, have you left for your trip? Yeah. I said, I'm actually at the airport. I'm about to board, but what's going on? She said, what's the worst day of my life? I'm, and I knew she had had some physical health issues. And I said, okay, well, hold on. I'll wait and be the last person to board. Let's talk this through. So she was telling me about her neurological issues that led to depression. And so I said, okay, well, hold on. Let me first, you know, find you a new therapist. I'm going to put you in touch with my sister because she's had some experience in this area and I'm going to try to get you a new therapist and psychiatrist and we'll go from there. So we talked for about 25 minutes. I boarded, land in Switzerland about, you know, 12 hours later after the layovers, get a call three hours in that she had shot herself the exact same way that my father did, a gun uh-huh. to the head. And you know, God is so, so interesting. Uh-huh. of her last night. Mm. Literally last night. And I guess that was her way of letting me know she was okay. Mm. I blamed myself, Kelly, more than I can even describe. Mm. Because I was one of the only few that talked to her. And now I know that we really, her mind was made up too. And that was her way of telling me goodbye. Because she kept saying, at the, you know, before we got off the phone, oh, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm just so proud of you. I want you to know how proud of you. I said, girl, this call, I said, thank you. But this call is not about us. Like, it's about you. And I'm trying to, you know, get you the help that you need. But she was telling me goodbye. Yeah. And so, of course, I had to get back on a plane the next day and come back to America. Mm. By the time I got to the hospital, she was brain dead. And it was just awful. Mm. So that next year was just a true downward spiral for me. Again, still high functioning. But there were mornings I wasn't wanting to get out of the bed. I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to talk to friends. I wasn't going out socially. I started eating out of depression. I started drinking more out of depression at home. You know, sometimes you come home, you have that glass of wine. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Wine your day or that cocktail, but like one drink turned into two, two turned into three, three turned into four. And every day. Mm -hmm. And when it's a party of one, that's not good. And so that is when everything in 2015, it was one Saturday evening, September of 2015, I counted up all the pills in my medicine cabinet and I came really close to taking those pills, Kelly. Like I had planned, started planning my funeral and was just, you know, had all these thoughts of what I could and would do. And the only thing that stopped me at that moment was I was like, oh my gosh, what is, what is going to happen to my sister and brother that they have to live through this all over again. Mm. And I, I just, I didn't want to hurt them. And I really, I didn't want to hurt myself. I just wanted the pain to go away, but there were these thoughts in my head saying, kill yourself, kill yourself. And I couldn't get out of those thoughts. So I got out of the house and started driving around, you know, Atlanta, um, in the area that I live in. And ironically, well, it's not even ironically, it was all God. I went into like a home goods store or something like that. Friend of mine who lives on the other side of town happened to be there. And I thought, what do you, why are you even on this side of town? She said, well, that doesn't matter. What's going on with you? She immediately knew something was wrong. And I can't remember what I shared to her because that night was kind of like just a cloud to me now. But she immediately had me call my sister and my sister was like, hang up the phone and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. 
1-800-273-TALK. They helped me um, de-escalate the crisis at that moment. And then also I texted my pastor, Dr. Raphael G. Warnock, who is now Senator Warnock of uh -huh. Georgia. Um, I've been a member of Ebenezer for over 10 years. And Dr. Warnock was like, look, because he had been seeing me going and coming into church and coming um, down for altar call when it was time to pray and I would be sobbing in church. So he knew something wasn't right. He said, listen, I'll pray with you, but you've got to go to the doctor. You've got to get help. Mm -hmm. And so that's when hashtag Jesus and therapy started working for me or just, you know, Jesus and, and wellness, if you will. And so in addition to praying, I finally called the psychiatrist and started on my antidepressants. And that's what really started me in this mental health journey. Mm -hmm. I started openly sharing on social media, Kelly, and I was terrified mm -hmm. of what my peers would say. Someone like you, like, what would Kelly think of me? I'm, and I say this in the most humble way, I'm Shanti Das, but I, I'm telling y'all I wanted to kill myself. And it's 2021. Here we are, what, six, seven years later, the mm -hmm. conversation is being more normalized, but it wasn't in 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ended up having to do a radio interview on V103. It's when Bobby Christina took ill. And so mm -hmm. there were a lot of thoughts and ideas and preconceived notions of what happened with her swirling around. And so the folks over at V knew about my dad's story and, and that um, I had started talking a little bit of just generically about mental health. And so they wanted my thoughts on it. And I was on the air and I said, yeah, you know, I don't know why people are so embarrassed and ashamed to talk about mental health. We just need to silence the shame. Mm. So of course, the marketing girl in me, I was like, hmm, that's actually kind of has a ring to it. And mm. so I started a hashtag and started posting. Mm you know, and, and started openly talking about it. And then in 2017 or 2016, I did a soft lunch and Nick Cannon came on board and he did a for us in May of 2016. And I got a few other celebrities. And I did some local press in Atlanta. And then I get started getting some volunteers, some other like-minded moms, like a lot of these incredible women that are listening to us this morning, you know, to start volunteering and we just started talking more about it and it then turned into a movement. And in 2017, mm -hmm. it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And so I said, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick a day to be National Silence to Shame Day. Why not? I'm going to make it up. So I made May 5th, which is also Cinco de Mayo. I said, I'm going to make May 5th National Silence to Shame Day and see if any of my peers and friends and colleagues would be open to posting about mental health. Mm -hmm. 90 million impressions later in one day. We got awesome. 90 of every, from celebrities to actors and athletes. And so I knew that yeah. God had placed this ministry in my life for a reason. And there was no turning back. So mm. I really have dedicated my life to mental health and wellness. Um, my family has all, also dealt with, you know, mental health challenges over the years. And I mean, who knew that I would, I mean, I never wanted to be the poster child of mental health. Like I would randomly sometimes travel mm -hmm. They'll go, oh, Shanti from LaFace, I'm familiar with your work and I'm seeing you on interviews, mm -hmm. talking head stuff on BT or BH1. Now I'm like in Target and, you know, this beautiful black woman, like 60 years old, comes around the corner like, you're the silence of shame lady. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll own that. Mm -hmm. But it's so, such a blessing to know. And again, I know you feel this from the Sunrise Project of being able to touch the lives and what you've done with the crown at touching the lives of strangers and saving lives. Like that is really what it's about. And I fought mm -hmm. it for so long 
because I was like, gosh, did I like walk away from this huge career? And I'm seeing all my friends that are still like running labels and television companies and, you know, content enterprises and all this. And that could have been me too, but I chose a much more humble life to do this work and to work for a nonprofit. And I am a, a, a public speaker now. So I speak all around the world. I spoke in Belfast, Ireland in 2019. I was the only woman of color to give a keynote around mental health. Wow. In Belfast, Ireland, I spoke at a hip hop conference. I thought they wanted me to come over in Amsterdam and talk about my past career. They were like, well, no, we're actually familiar with your mental health movement. And that's awesome. In London in January. And this work is just so humbling, but it is a lot of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I now honor that vulnerability is a superpower. Yes. Nothing to be embarrassed about. I, uh, I know now that boundaries are a complete blessing and we have to be able to establish boundaries in our personal and professional careers. And I just, I, 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 my prayer is that God takes silence to shame global. There's a little small, tiny village in Kenya where the mental health in Africa is really not addressed the way it is addressed in, 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 you know, um, in North America. And Mm -hmm. so they're using our hashtag and they repost some of our stuff. And I pray for the day I can go to Kenya and do a silence to shame event there. And so we are just grateful at all the partnerships and opportunities from the NFL Players Association to the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and Amazon is now a big supporter. Um, Amazon in the Southeast region, a big supporter of what we do. And mental health is everywhere. And I think the pandemic yeah. has shown that this conversation is heightened now, but that so many people are still suffering in silence. I think we're talking about it, but are people really taking that next step to get the help that they need? That's why, I mean, I will, you know, until I'm six feet under God willing, that's hopefully 50 years from now. Yes. <laughs> but this is my mission and my purpose and my prayer is to silence the shame around the world around mental health and wellness so we can all heal and get the help that we need absolutely and you're doing such an amazing job so thank you and I love we talk about vulnerability being a superpower what I love about you Shanti is that you share your journey not just the (laughs) rah-rah what'd you say I think I share too much because even my sister when I before I put my book out in 2018 she said she read it because I, I had her read the manuscript and she said, you sure you want to put this out? She said, because you're saying a lot. I said, you know, I, I know, but yeah, I do. I, I, yes, because your vulnerability helps other people. And that's our in our culture, right? My mother said the same thing when we started sunrise. You sure you want to tell people about what's going on with Kyle? I said, yes. And in our culture and our families, no, we don't talk about it because people are ashamed. There's stigma. So we could grow up with a grandmother that has bipolar. No one mentions it. Sister, what up, father? And especially issues, all these issues, depression, anxiety, the you know, suicide, you know, sharing that Kyle tried to kill himself was really major, major vulnerability, but with his permission, you know, I wanted to make sure he was okay with that, but it's helped other people. So I just want to applaud you for everything that you do. And please keep being so vulnerable because your social media, when you say I'm having a really bad day, you know, there are times when most of us, probably all of us on this call have had really bad days and being able to say, okay, that's Shanti. Like you said, Shanti, who's led the careers of some of these huge powerhouses, it's just like the rest of us, that we get up, we try to get ourselves together, put on a, get take a shower, get our face you know, together and show up. But there are those dark moments that we have to deal with. 
And like you said, get therapy or sometimes get medication if that's, you know, needed or helpful, depending on what our therapist is. So I just want to thank you and applaud you for all of the work you're doing to silence the shame and to reduce the stigma. And I want to have you share, because we were talking earlier, and I know some of your posts, you know, about your sister. If you could share what happened with your sister and know how close you um, are and were and uh, what happened with her. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I think it's important to say that when my mom was pregnant, because my mom got pregnant at 49 with me. So I think I was not a mistake, but I was unexpected. (laughs) Okay. My sister, when she found out, my sister was like, I think, um, seven and a half or eight, I guess, at the time, or seven and a half. And she found out she was having a baby sister. She's like, I pray for her. I pray for her. And so she mm-hmm. was already, you know, a big sister in every sense of the word when I was in my mom's belly. And so, oh gosh, I remember when I was big enough to move around, I was attached to her at the hip, going everywhere, mm-hmm. her, hanging out with she and her friends. And so we grew up very close. And again, when I started having any of my issues, she was always there for me. Um, My mom worked nights and I love my mother and she provided certain things for us that are invaluable. And she is, you know, definitely the center of my life. But my sister and I had a unique relationship and my sister broke a lot of the generational curses in our family. And she was the one that had the foresight and wherewithal to do different things and finish college and go to therapy and start her own nuclear family. And we used to joke and say her family was like the Huxtables, right? Because they were this successful husband and wife, three kids and, you know, kids going to private school and sitting down for dinner and celebrating every holiday. And we didn't see that growing up. And so she Mm -hmm. painted that picture for us. So anyway, long story short, we were more than sisters. We were best friends. She was my confidant, knew anything and everything about me. And one of her children had experienced a lot of mental health challenges over the years. So I was kind of in that fight with her from Mm -hmm. 2007, you know, uh, until now. And so anyway, in 2019, she was on vacation with her daughter, who was her youngest child. They were in Cancun for spring break. And it was her other two kids were back in Charlotte. And um, two months before that, she had gotten her master's in counseling. So she was actually about to become a therapist. And so we were going to do a lot together. And she had cracked her tibia. So she was in and out of a boot for a couple of months. And then when I guess this was the first time she had flown since um, getting out of the boot. And so once they got to the first day was like paradise for them. They had an incredible room. She was sending me pictures. We were texting all day. And one of the couples that was with them, they did a couple's massage that evening. And she said there was an area on her leg that was um, hurting her. Well, after they did couple's massages, she said, oh my God, my legs feel so much better. And that was in the evening. And I texted with her last thing like 10 o'clock that night. And then the next morning, I got a call from my my nephew saying that that she had stopped breathing. And so I thought he was saying it was my mom because my mom is 90 now with Alzheimer's. And so... Not that we were expecting anything, but I thought he said, my mom stopped breathing, mm-hmm. which was, of course, a shock. But he said, no, my mom. And I said, well, okay, is she in the hospital? And It's okay. So Jill asked, how am I doing now? That was one of the questions. I still struggle, Jill. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, she died. She was gone in like 30 minutes. Mm. It happened. And so that was the worst day of my life. Mm. I'm so sorry. And, and um, 
I did go to grief counseling. Um, there's a really good organization from a Christian perspective called griefshare.org. Okay. I think now because of the pandemic, they have virtual sessions or you can go in person. So I did grief share for a while. And then I, I jumped back into a routine of work and I threw myself into silence to shame. And I was on the breakfast club four weeks later and I was here and I still wasn't going to therapy like I should have with losing my sister. Um, I have good days and bad days. I will say I'm back in therapy. I go every, every Thursday at three, um, unless mm-hmm. sometimes it's every other Thursday, but I have a great African-American female therapist that I love that is helping me through it. I have a really good book called um, The Gift of Grief by Dr. Ajita Robinson that's available on Amazon. She's a good friend of mine. We do a lot of work together. It's called The Gift of Grief. And A-J-I-T-A, Ajita Robinson. You get to equate grief to how it affects your mental health. And it has really, you know, it caused me to go back through a depression. And then this year, I got really sick health-wise in April and had to go to the hospital in April. And then they didn't catch what was really wrong with me. So I ended up being admitted in July. Mm. So I had to get my gallbladder removed. And I still have things that I'm fighting with my physical health, which led to another depression in August because I just am not used to not being able to move around and being mobile. And then I had a tear in my meniscus and Mm. just so much. And And because I am an open book, I just found out this week that I have a small mass on my right breast and and I still have to get more blood work done for my abdomen. When I tell you, I feel like I am being tested Mm -hmm. over and over. These have been the longest three years of my life of losing my sister, the pandemic and, and all the physical health challenges but God is still good. Yes. I woke up this morning because of his grace and mercy. And yes. I'm here and I'm going to keep pushing forward and doing what I got to do and keep trying to share and help and save more people yeah. as I can. But it's not easy. And mm-hmm. I, take, I take it one day at a time, Kelly. Um, I know that's right. Well, I say one moment at a time. One moment at a time. Mm-hmm. Even it's a shame, you know, I see all these organizations, you know, getting a hundred million and 50 million. And I've been working so hard with this megaphone around mental health. And I'm like, God, are we being overlooked? Mm. I'm sharing all of me and still being overlooked. But- you are helping so many people. So let me say this. You are not being overlooked. You are here. What a powerful blessing that you are here with us sharing so openly and so vulnerably. I'm holding back my tears because I'm an open book too. And I'm a waterhead as everybody knows and people that dial in regularly. But what a blessing that you're here. And I believe things happen the way they're supposed to. We know this. And so you're going to be in Kenya. You're going to be all over Africa. All that you dream for is going to manifest. It is. It's happening in the way it's supposed to. So that's true for all of us. I just want to say you're such a blessing for millions of people that you have impacted, including me, including people on this call this morning. And I follow you on social, have been for quite a while, as you know. And so I live some of your journey. I'm not on that much. One of the things you advised us and several people was to not be on social because it's depressing sometimes. And, you know, and so I don't look often when I do though, 
I drive by. That's how I know so much about what you're going through. But um, I just want to share, you are not being overlooked. You are seen, you are heard. We celebrate and honor you and love you and support you and are so grateful that you were not successful the first time or any other time. That's what I want to just say. So just want to share that with you and say thank you. And I am doing much better than I have. Even with my sister, like, Mm -hmm. I think the holidays is making me a little bit more vulnerable with her. But I, you know, there are times where I just, I laugh about certain moments. I celebrate her memory. Mm -hmm. You know, even, you know, um, with my nieces and nephews, I am there for them. I I watch what I put Mm -hmm. up so I can be a good influence for her children and be extremely close to them. So I'm getting through it. And Silence of Shame has really blessed me. Yes. Some of the tools that I do, I start my morning every day from a place of gratitude. So I do that in the mornings without just pulling out my phone. Um, Yes. Waking up from a place of gratitude, doing breath work. There's a really great technique for the 448, where you close your eyes and you, you breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for four and then you do a long exhale of eight. Doing those um, repetitions of breath work is wonderful. And yesterday when we were at Emory with mm-hmm. the players, our yoga instructor does a lot of meditation work. She said that prayer is your ability to talk to God and talking mm-hmm. to God. But breath work and meditation allows you to listen to God. And mm-hmm. I love the way she put that. And so mm-hmm. are intentional about your mornings with, praying to God, then also do that breath work. And even if you try to meditate or just to be still and allow yourself to listen to God, that actually helps to set my day. Yes. All the craziness. Or if I'm driving and someone, because we know all this road rage, rage going on and, and it's yes. in America, a lot of robbing and stealing and, you know, wish they prayed up in exactly every single day, but being able to use that breathing technique so that you don't say those words you want to say to somebody. Yes but you just stop and you just breathe and it allows yourself to become centered once again. I love taking walks. You know, it's been proven that if you get out and exercise or I have a stationary bike, you know, I get my endorphins going, it puts you in a better mood. And it's been proven. Absolutely. If the sun is shining, walk outside or open up your blinds or pull the blinds up. And let exactly. that light in because we need that um, from an emotional health and wellness perspective. There's so many cool things that we can do. And a few quick things that I'll just say, and then I know you will probably have a few questions, but um, I call it my starting five. You know, we're in basketball season and before the players take the court, mm-hmm. on the team. So I ask, who's in your starting five? We all need a starting five. And so yeah. I, it's a girlfriend or a sister or a brother or confidant we need to have five folks on speed dial or readily available that we can call if we're having a tough time and and everybody's not going to understand so be really careful when you're curating your starting five list that it's someone that is going to come from a place of empathy and not sympathy we don't need your sympathy respectfully but we need the empathy we need you to kind of understand or see us where we're at right we also need people that won't judge us right so find won't judge you that will be a little more empathetic those people that you can call on and then I coined this acronym that if you are dealing with feelings or um you know one of your family members it's you know being able to rap a lot of our young kids like rap music I still like hip-hop but rapping through your problems so the R in rap is recognizing what you're going through sometimes things happen and 
We didn't, we act like it didn't happen. Yeah. But you got to recognize it. And then the A is acknowledging it and accepting it. They're not just brushing it under the rug. Right. You accept that either your body or your mind or something, you're experiencing something that's unfamiliar. And then the P is being able to process through it with a licensed professional, whether that is your PCP or a, a clinician or a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but you can't do it on your own, right? And the P can also stand for prayer, right? Yeah, absolutely. So recognizing, acknowledging, accept it, and processing it through it with a professional and with prayer. And that's what I, how I like to give just good advice on, you know, wrapping through your problems is what I call them. I love that. I love that. Wrapping through your problems. I love that. I'm glad you mentioned prayer. I think that's so important, but also we need professionals. So that's so true. So thank you for that. And the other thing I'll just add is, you know, it's important that we don't isolate in times of depression and anxiety. You've got to stay connected with folks, right? That can uplift you and pull you out of that. So something Mm -hmm. is laughter or figuring out that inner child. I'm 50 years old, but I love peanuts. I've been into the peanuts collection and Snoopy and the crew for years. And so I still watch the little holiday movies or I'll have peanuts things up around my house. My home is decorated now because the Christmas lights keep me lifted and in a joyous space. So do the little things that work for you and don't worry about what everybody else is saying. That's the other thing too. Like you got to be able to block out the noise no is a complete sentence too. So it's like, sometimes, you know, like now I don't respond to emails necessarily after 7.30, unless it's something that's extremely important. And, you know, you have to be able to tell family members no sometimes. You love them, that's but right. you know, I, I can't do it today. Right. But you really don't owe anyone an explanation and say, but how about tomorrow? Or I'm not saying don't do whatever they need, but just being able to do it sometimes on your own timeline, if it's not an emergency, it's actually okay to say no and to hold that unique space in your own life and to, to, to put up that boundary and feel good about yourself, right? So you can right. self-care on a regular basis. I think that's so critically important. I was saying yesterday, I think I'm addicted to doing because that addiction enables me to keep going, 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 where I don't sit. It does process. But Kelly, some of us are are addicted and we go and go and go. Cause why? Because we're afraid of that. To quiet. deal with the feelings. Absolutely. Yes. yes. That's what that's exactly my point. Like, I'm not gonna deal with that. I'm gonna act like I'm just gonna keep going until I pass out. Literally. <laughs> and we can't do that anymore. That's right. We have to choose to be with ourselves, choose to have time to give to ourselves so that we can really be present for our families. If you do hold that quiet time and you deal with some, and you unpack or uncover some things that, you know, you're afraid of, but just know that help is always there. Absolutely. One thing we have not lost in the pandemic and in this world is hope. Absolutely. Hope gets me through every single day, knowing that God or somebody in my life is going to lift me up and get me through whatever I'm going through. Absolutely. You got to surround yourself with people that love you, block out the negativity and do you. Do you and have that starting five. I love having the starting five and the block out the negativity. I also love your advice about getting off of social media because there's so much negative, negative negativity there. Or sometimes there's that FOMO, you know, versus like being happy. Right. Right. Scrolling. And I'm like, oh, let me just put this down. Like, I, I can't go down this rabbit hole today because to your point, oh, why am I not on a vacation or why am I not doing this? Or I don't have that new handbag or I'm not turning up with everybody. Or I'm missing. I miss out a lot because 
I work for a nonprofit now, so I am not able to be at every single cool event like I used to be. Right. And that FOMO is real sometimes. And I'm like, that is nothing but the devil. Like, let me just- That's right. That's right. Go back to doing what I need to do. That is so true. So I, before we run out of time, this has been such a blessing. I would love to open up the floor for questions. Yeah, I just wanted to say, first of all, um, that we appreciate you coming on, Shanti. I mean, I've known slash followed you through the music industry for years. And, you know, just saw the various, you in the various stages of your career. And what it does, having you on in a moment like this, is show everybody that this is a journey that's, that's not absolute. It happens a moment at a time. That one moment you may be fine, and the next moment you may, you may not be, and it's okay. So a lot of folks struggle with getting through and thinking it's supposed to be perfect every day and we understand that this is a journey and just appreciate you um being so transparent and and allowing folks to see themselves in your situation i know kelly can relate um as someone who's high functioning and and successful but at the same time struggles at moments for various reasons of things that are happening online so i just wanted to say like i really appreciate and um you know uh, i'm sure a lot of folks feel the same but just just wanted to say thank you Oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much for your kind words. And it is my absolute pleasure. And I love what you said. Like, it really is, you know, a, a everyday thing. Some days are good. Some days are bad. But the thing about it is it's nothing to be embarrassed about. The good news is it's some incredible therapists out there to help us through it. Also from an exercise and even diet perspective, like I'll say, even though it was a lot for me physically, I lost some weight <laughs> during this struggle um, in the past few months, but I feel better. So being able to like, you know, put good food into your body is going to help you mentally and physically mm-hmm. too. Um, Absolutely. Better with that as well. Um, but it is a journey and it's, it's, it's our individual journeys and it's nothing to be embarrassed about, but getting the help and being able to have those better days is, is what keeps us going and having, you know, loving family and friends around us. So thank you for that, Keith. Shanti, this has been so invaluable and so appreciate the incredible work you're doing and your vulnerability and your willingness to share so we can all silence the shame. And I just want to say again, thank you for being here. So, so, so appreciate you. I look forward to doing more with you in 2022. Thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I just wish peace, wellness, and blessings for everyone that's on this call. And I'll say it to you again, if you're struggling with anything or your family member is, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Take it day by day. Know that the support is there. It's okay not to be okay, but what's not okay is not getting the help. And we do not want to let fear block us from that. So Mm -hmm. we're going to turn that fear into faith and we're going to find pathways for to wellness so god bless you all and thank you love that thank you so much and we'll turn over to kelly chapman to close us out with a prayer this morning father god we come to you today giving thanks god you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever today lord we thank you for shante das a dear friend of kelly we thank you for equipping her for this amazing movement silence the shame at such a time as this We thank you that she did not hide her talent for service under a rock. You said the greatest among you will be your servant. So we give thanks and honor to your humble servant Shanti today. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And we are grateful that these two old friends could reconnect for a conversation and a purpose today. 
We place the burdens that we as parents and caregivers carry on your throne of grace, Lord, this morning. We are all in the midst of navigating life and trying to make sure that our loved one is safe and sound. While our loved ones wrestle with mental illness and addiction challenges, we are doing whatever we can to make sure that they are okay. And it's not easy, God. So please give us strength, Lord. The pressures are great and they feel insurmountable. We have faith and we trust you, Lord, yet sometimes the weight of it all feels like too much to bear. Your word reminds us that we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. So this morning we come to you, Lord, asking for you to help us today. Like Shanti, place us on your threshing floor. The harvest threshing floor is a place where they separate the grain from the useless straw for the purpose of exposing and collecting the most valuable part of the crop. And we believe that you are performing a separation within us for a purpose. We trust and believe that like Shanti, we are all called for a purpose and you will not call us home until your purpose for us is on earth here is fulfilled. So while we are those that remain here in 2021, we cry out to you, Lord, to restore the joy in our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we may have felt we couldn't go on and we failed to trust you. Forgive us for the times we wanted to leave this earth. We thank you that Shanti is healed and so are we. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Kelly. Thank you so much for that. And thank you everybody for being here. Thank you, Shanti, again. So love you and appreciate you. Thank you, everyone. God bless. Have a good week, everyone. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps.